Thank you, Jay. Again, Harvest 201 uh, sign-up sheet on the back white table. Uh, you know, I think better than I can say just in an announcement, uh, what a blessing it is to be a part of uh, maybe a group that you wouldn't otherwise normally hang out with on your own, but to be there studying God's word and being uh, a part of the family. Uh, but with that, um, you know, there are certain legends that are uh, universal, right? We all know of the legend of Bigfoot. We all know of the legend of maybe Loch Ness Monster. Maybe we don't know too much about it, but we've at least heard those things. There is uh, a legend that is a little bit lesser known, but perhaps perhaps greater in magnitude, okay, than even those of Bigfoot and Loch Ness Monster, okay? If you reign from like the kind of Chicago Champaign, the Illinois area, there is legends of a man, okay, whose feats in, the, not not foot feet, but feats, right, in the volleyball world were so renowned that his nickname was The Legend, okay? So you, you know how you have The Legend of Bigfoot? This is The Legend of The Legend, okay? <laughs> stories so amazing that, you know, stories of two on six, and, you know, I've even maybe two, on, uh, two against a million or something like that, okay? Two, two people in a volleyball court beating like six people to a million, somewhere in that range, okay, by themselves. And they say the only reason why he needed that other person was because that's the rules of volleyball. You can't hit to yourself, okay? It could have very well been one on a million had the rules of volleyball not constrained the legend to what it is. The legend has it that the legend, okay, came down south, okay, and would conquer a dynasty that in the volleyball world, this dynasty okay, makes the Golden State Warriors, makes the Bulls look like a day, okay? This dynasty had never lost a match in 14 years, okay? 14 years. The legend came down, destroyed the dynasty, almost single-handedly, sending people from that dynasty to Korea, to L.A., just scattered them. They, they left because of the legend, okay? What if I were to tell you the legend is, is our guest speaker today, okay? <laughs> I think in humility, he, would, he wouldn't want you to call him Pastor Legend. You can call him Pastor Peter. Uh, Pastor Peter Min from Gainesville has uh, graciously, uh, he sent his family, you know, ahead to Champaign, and he stayed back to just share God's word with us today. His wife, Bethany, uh, son, Ethan, daughter, Ellie, daughter, Ava, uh, all with E. That's cool, okay? Um, here to share God's word with us. Uh, he serves as pastor at Centerpoint Christian Fellowship up in Gainesville. And, uh, just in many ways, we thought it would be a great opportunity because a lot of our students who graduate, they are able to go to UF and they, they're able to serve and be a part of the ministry and serve you know, under and alongside Pastor Peter and, and, and the ministry there. But um, uh, what a blessing it is for us to hear um, uh, from the legend, but we'll just say Pastor Peter for today. But uh, let's all just encourage him and, and just say thank you by clapping as he comes to share God's grace. Hello, everyone. It's uh, good to be here. They were all lies, <laughs> everything that Eugene said. And uh, contrary to belief, Eugene and I are not related in any way. We have some, uh, we share some similarities, <laughs> one that is blaringly obvious. Uh, the others are uh, that we do have a common love in volleyball. Uh, I remember the first time I met Eugene uh, was on the volleyball court. There was this thing called Florida versus Georgia. And uh, we had the opportunity of representing Florida 
It was my, I think my first year in Florida, but I was a Floridian for that tournament. And I got the chance to play with Eugene, and I was uh, really impressed by his game. And uh, the, uh, the whole idea of this legend thing, that's not even true. So let's put that out of our minds. Uh, can we just do this for a second? Can you just turn to the person next to you just for a second and just say, out of the love of God, just say how thankful you are that they are here to worship with you. Turn to the person next to you. All right, awesome. It is, uh, it is so good to be here. I want to just introduce myself a little bit, a little bit beyond what Eugene introduced. Uh, it, it's funny because this whole idea of being known as this volleyball player, I've, I've been kind of wanting to shake that a little bit uh, because it, it, it's nice and it's something that I did actually strive towards, I live for. Uh, but as I get older, I realize how foolish <laughs> it was. Uh, my prayer is that by the end of my life, that I'll just be known as a child of God. Amen? Uh, it is a blessing to be here. My name, again, is, is Peter Min. My, uh, as Eugene shared, I have a wife. Her name is Bethany. She goes by Bethany. I know her as Unha. Uh, she is by far my better half. Uh, she is, I, I'm like very much, I'm not an emotional guy, Okay. But I'm very emotional when I think about my family right now because I have been apart from them for about a month. Uh, I did go back for a week, saw them come back. I have some uh, responsibilities in the Gainesville area and I have to be there. Uh, but I, uh, they're in Champaign-Urbana right now in Illinois uh, with uh, my wife's sister's family. And my two oldest are currently going to summer school there. And so it's like every time I think of that, my heart melts. I get a little like, I don't know, something like dusty in the eyes a little bit. Uh, I have a picture of my family just so you can kind of see them. I talk about them a lot. Uh, that's my wife. This is at a uh, ballet recital. Uh, it was Eliana's ballet recital. She's the one right there in the middle between my wife and I. Uh, the youngest one wasn't in the recital, but because the older sister got to wear this ballet clothes, she wanted to wear it too. So... We just dressed her in it, and we went together, and obviously my son doesn't like ballet. Okay, so that's, uh, that's the picture of my family. <laughs> I, think, I think he was hangry. He was very hungry and uh, not very happy. So that's, uh, that's my family right there whom I miss and love and care for. Uh, let me just start by saying this. Before we get into the text, uh, it is a privilege of mine to be here and to share from God's word with you all here this morning. Uh, I thought about it a lot ever since DL asked me to come. Uh, and I realized that privilege is uh, twofold. One, uh, out of my adoration, love, and respect for this church and this ministry, uh, I have an immense amount of love and respect for your pastor DL. And let me just say this, on his sabbatical right now, as he is away from you, He's probably thinking about you 100% of the time. I know that when I'm away from my church, like whenever I get blessed, I just want to get back. And to be a blessing, to serve and to love and to be loved by my, my congregation, uh, I can guarantee you he feels the same way, if not more. Uh, because I know his heart and his love for you. Uh, so I have an immense amount of respect for him. Secondly, uh, I feel like I'm so indebted to this ministry, 
as we have the incredible opportunity of, 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 of being able to welcome in so many of people that have grown through this family, through this body, and to see them love and serve the Lord and to serve the church uh, where I'm at. Uh, even those who are not a part of our church, just getting to know them and seeing their love for God. And in so many ways, I feel indebted to this ministry. So it's such a privilege to be here. But second fold, it is a privilege in any circumstance for any of us to be able to teach and to share from the Word of God in any context. Whether it's here on a Sunday worship in, the, in, a, in this kind of atmosphere and circumstance or if it's just at home with your children, with your brother or sister, to be able to share from God's Word, it is a privilege. Every time I get an opportunity to just to sit down with my son and my daughters and read the Word of God, it is a privilege that God has given to each and every one of us. And so I find it an incredible privilege. And I thank you for this opportunity to be here with you. Let's get into God's Word. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to John 11. If you have your phones, just kind of tap your way there. Uh, but we're going to read from John 11, verse 1 through 44. It's kind of long, uh, but we're going to read this passage together. As you turn to this passage... Uh, I just want to share something. I feel like more often than not, in, in fact, almost every time I share on some sort of topic, I feel like that topic starts to come to life in my life. And, uh, and, you know, if I share about, like, forgiveness, I'll be reminded about so many people that I need to forgive and love on. And so many people that, or I, 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 the forgiveness I receive from God, how thankful I am for that. Uh, today's message, if you are uh, into titles, the title of today's message is, Where is God in my suffering? And this week, I feel like God brought this passage to life in my, uh, in my life uh, as I went through a lot of suffering. Uh, I vowed after this message that for the next few weeks, I'm going to talk about God's blessing, God's grace, God's goodness. Things that, you know, I, I can kind of uh, enjoy. Uh, but it, through my suffering this week, whether it was just financial suffering, uh, emotional suffering, uh, physical suffering. I went through some physical illness this week. Uh, I felt like this passage really just kind of came to life. And I'm excited to share from this passage with you all. Okay. John 11, uh, 1 through 44. This is God's word. Now, a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. And when Jesus heard this, he said, this illness does not lead to death. It is the glory of God so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you, and are you going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said uh, to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to waken him. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest in sleep. 
Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe, but let us go to him. So Thomas called the twin, said, his, uh, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Verse 17, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, the teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with uh, her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out. They followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man also have kept this man from dying? Verse 38. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone laid against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you? that if you believed, you would see the glory of God. So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with cloth. Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Amen. Can we pray just one more time and depend on the Lord? Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for this incredible opportunity of worship. God, we know that that worship is afforded to us by the blood of Jesus Christ, that we do approach this throne room with confidence, not by what we have done, not by what we have accomplished but by the blood of Jesus Christ and the grace that has been given freely to us. We pray, Lord Father, that you would speak to us here this morning. It's our desire to hear your words, to be moved by your spirit. Lord, won't you use this unworthy servant to speak your words, and may you and you alone be glorified. We pray that your words would penetrate into our hearts and lives and change our lives so that our lives would worship and reflect your grace and your love for us. We thank you and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Uh, as I shared, uh, I went through a little bit of suffering this week. Uh, it was a, a little bit of a difficult week, especially as I thought about my family and just missed them. Uh, it's funny, when you're home alone, I was kind of excited. My family was going away, you know, a little bit excited. I, I, I won't lie. I was excited because I'm like, I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. I can nap whenever I want. I can read and actually pick up a book and not be disturbed. I can, you know, do just whatever. I can go out and play volleyball. I can play basketball with guys. And, and the moment they left, I'm sitting at home, like, I got really, like, sad. I, I realized just how much of my time is consumed by them. And when they were gone, I didn't know what to do my, with myself. And so I went through some of that, just emotional and uh, a little bit of sickness and things at work where I work was a little bit difficult this week. And so I went through that. But more than that, uh, this passage kind of came to me uh, as I mourned with a friend, uh, a friend of mine uh, who I knew from U of I. He was an older brother of mine and a mentor, a spiritual mentor of mine. Uh, he basically took me into his home and took care of me like I was a, a son. I mean, he really, he, be, me and two other guys, he just really cared for us uh, deeply. Uh, at that time, his son was uh, born. I, I was there when he was born. Uh, I, I think I've even changed a diaper or two. And uh, that son uh, is now a junior in college. Uh, and uh, from a tragic accident, um, he passed away. He died. And uh, uh, his parents live in Texas now. And he was at the University of Illinois. And uh, he died. And his, before his parents he could even come, he had already passed, gone to be with the Lord. And so uh, I, I, I was there in uh, Champaign. I went back there. I got to see my family for a little bit, but I was there to be with the family, uh, and to just mourn with them. And as I experienced their suffering, uh, God led me to this passage. So today, we're going to look at where is God in my suffering. Uh, I think a lot of us have gone through suffering in our lives, whether it's as tragic as the one I spoke about, or you go through difficulties and circumstances in your life that you suffer through. And a lot of times when we suffer, we ask ourselves this question. Where is God in my suffering? A lot of times when we suffer, we ask what Martha and Mary asked. God, if you had been here, if you had been here, my brother Lazarus would not have died. Where is God in my suffering? I believe as we look at this passage, there are three things that we see through Jesus of where God is in our suffering. So the first one is this. In my suffering, in my suffering, Jesus cares first for my soul. In my suffering, Jesus cares first for my soul. And when we look at study this passage, when we look at this passage, there are, uh, there are different areas that kind of stand out, raise your eyebrows, where you have to kind of stop and ask, why is this here? What does this mean? Uh, when I was in college, uh, another older brother of mine always challenged me to not just read my Bibles, but instead to study it, to engage my mind, to constantly ask questions. And one of these specific areas where I just stopped and I'm like, what is going on here was in verses 5 and 6. Let's look at it together. In verses 5 and 6, it says this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. 
Now John here wants to make it absolutely clear that Jesus loved them. Just really loved them. Not, not just like loved them, like, you know, just kind of cared for them, but really deeply loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. They had a dear place in his heart. But then in verse 6, it kind of takes a turn that, that's kind of strange. It says this, because Jesus loved them, and then in verse 6 it says this, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. This is kind of strange, isn't it? It doesn't really make sense if you think about it, right? It's as if I was sitting up here, let's say my family was here with us, three kids. They were probably running around in the back. I think there's like Sunday school, so we'd probably send them off. But they are here with us, and I, I, I talked about my kids. I talk about my kids a lot. And I talk to you, and I'm saying, oh, I, I love my children. I would die for my children. I would do anything for my, I like, I love them. And uh, I love them more than volleyball, right? I, I love them. I keep expressing my love for my children. And then imagine we're outside. You and I are outside, and we're just kind of conversing, talking. And my youngest one, who's two, Ava, starts to run in that parking lot, right? run around. It's kind of wild, this one. And she trips and falls. And upon falling, she scrapes her knees and begins to bleed. And if you're a parent, you know that every child has two cries, Okay. One cry is uh, look around and how come I'm not getting attention? And then the cry, right? There's that fake cry. But then there's that blood-curdling, like your heart drops cry, the one that's real. Let's imagine Ava falls and she's in pain and it's that second cry. It's the blood-curdling, I'm in pain, this is for real cry. And as I'm talking to you, I look over at Ava, see her on the ground in pain, crying, I turn back to you and I go, hey, so what are we going to eat after this? What do you want to get for lunch? And I don't immediately go to her. Would you think that's strange? You'd probably sit there and be like, dude, not your daughter? I think she's hurt. I'm like, oh, yeah, it's all right. I'll go to her in a second. I keep talking to you. It doesn't make sense. The two don't go together just in the same way. When we look at this passage, it said that Jesus loved Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. So much so that John makes it absolutely clear. He makes sure that we understand and know that Jesus loved them. And then it says, so he waited two days. First, I thought maybe that so was translated incorrectly. So I looked up the original Greek. When I looked up the original Greek, it got worse. The definition of that word that's used there, it's consequently, because of, like cause and effect. In other words, what happens in terms of waiting two days, that Jesus waited two days, was in direct correlation with his love for Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. So what's going on here? Why does Jesus wait? I believe the answer is simply this, because Jesus cares first for our souls. Jesus would, only in his sovereign way, use the death of Lazarus to tend to Martha, Mary, and Lazarus' soul. Where do we see that in the text? Jesus waits, hears about uh, Lazarus' illness, waits two days. In those two days, Lazarus dies. After two days, he, he decides to go to Judea. We pick this up in verse 21. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here... My brother would not have died. 
But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Now this is immense faith that Martha is showing. But we understand this. Martha shows faith in Jesus, but she doesn't really believe that after the death of Lazarus, that Jesus would actually raise him back to life. Why? Because look at the next verse. It says this in 23. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Your brother will rise again, he says. And upon that, if she believed that Jesus was going to raise Lazarus from this, she would celebrate. But what does she say? Martha said to him, I know, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And then Jesus says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, this is Jesus strengthening the faith of Martha. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he says this, do you believe this? He gives Martha an opportunity to profess her faith in Jesus Christ. And she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. You see, Jesus uses this suffering to strengthen Martha's faith. Jesus is most worried about our faith because it is the thing that has eternal consequences. Now, I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't care about our current sufferings. He does. I'm not saying that Jesus doesn't care about our emotional state, and we'll see that later on. But Jesus cares most about our souls. It is his desire to strengthen our faith in the midst of suffering. Why? Because that has eternal consequences. In our suffering, Jesus cares for our soul. In our suffering, Jesus strengthens our faith. Romans 5, 3 through 5, it says this. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who is given to us. What is Paul saying here? Suffering leads to endurance. Endurance then produces character, strengthens us, builds us. That produces hope. And that hope does not put to shame because we experience the love of God. Through that love of God, we are strengthened. The suffering that we experience, God desires to use that to strengthen our faith. 1 Peter 5.10 Another verse, it says this, And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You see, brothers and sisters, it is when we suffer, we are reminded of our need for God and his unwavering faithfulness. My youngest daughter, I I talk about her a lot because she's a character. Uh, My oldest son... He's very dependent on us. He's very, like, like he's, he's shy, he's timid, he doesn't get into much trouble. So he's a really easy uh, kid to take care of. Uh, in fact, uh, he's very polar opposite from my youngest. My youngest daughter, she's just, like, 
everywhere. She's into everything. She's curious about everything. And it's, she's a lot of fun, but she always gets herself in trouble. And there's a thing that happens when you're raising your children. Usually it doesn't happen. It didn't happen for our first two till later. But by the age of around one and a half, Ava wanted to do everything by herself. Try to do something for her. And she's like, no, daddy, I do it. No, daddy, I do it. And so she got into this thing. It's funny how different he, she is from Ethan. I remember seeing a picture and, uh, you know, I was feeding milk to Ethan and holding the bottle for him. And he looked like a man child on my lap. I looked at this picture and I thought this was strange. There's no reason why I should be holding the bottle for this, like, boy, right? And so eventually I got to the point where I'm like, okay, we got to let him hold it for himself. And he just, like, forced his hands on the bottle. But he still wouldn't do it. He wanted us to feed him. Ava, by the age of one and a half, was like yanking the bottle out of my hand and drinking it by herself. Like, this is the type of girl she is. The other, uh, a few months ago, we were uh, at home and, and we have these vitamins, these gummy vitamins that we give to them. They love it, right? It's like their favorite thing. And it's candy. It's like basically candy in, in the form of vitamin, right? And so we had this gummy vitamin. And so I started giving out vitamins to Ethan and Ellie and Ava just at the age where she can get one too. And I was about to give it to her. And what did she say? She goes, no, daddy, I do it. I go, no, you can't do it. This is a childproof bottle. Obviously, she doesn't understand that and just made her like more like, like, just like she really wanted to do it. And so after a while, I said, fine. So I closed it all the way and I handed it to her. You do it. <laughs> I gave it to her. And so she tried. She did everything. She threw it on the crown a couple times, stomped on. She tried everything she could to get that open. And she struggled with it. And she really wanted the gummy candy or a vitamin as she watched her brother and sister have it. And finally, after struggling with it a little bit, she finally looked at me, her daddy, as I kind of smiled on the inside, right? <laughs> watched all this struggle, and, and then she handed it to me, and she goes, Daddy, you do it. And gladly, right, took the bottle, opened it up, gave her that vitamin candy. I feel like in our sufferings, God is somewhat like this. Not with the mean spirit that I have. <laughs> I'm like, you know, ah, suffer. You know? like, that's not God's heart, okay? That's my selfish, like, sinful heart as a father. But God wants to strengthen us through our suffering. When we struggle with something in our lives, it's not just so that we struggle with it. It's not just so that we suffer with it. It's that through that suffering, through that struggle... We learn to say, Daddy, you do it. And then God comes in and he strengthens our faith. In my suffering, Jesus cares first for my soul. But secondly, in my suffering, Jesus, I don't need that. Jesus weeps. Jesus weeps. When we look at how Jesus responds to the suffering, we have to ask ourselves another question. And that question is this, why does he go to Judea? Why go to Judea? Now, it seems like a dumb question. I admit, it does. And the answer, the simple, quick answer would be, Jesus goes to Judea to save Lazarus, right? And Lazarus needs to be saved. So he goes to Judea to save Lazarus. But as I studied this passage and as I looked, looked through the scripture, I don't think this was the case. 
I don't think he went, I mean, obviously he went to Judea. He went there and he raised his Lazarus from the dead. But I don't think this is why he went to Judea. And there's a couple reasons why I say that. First is this. I believe that Jesus could have saved Lazarus from where he was at. He didn't have to go there personally to raise Lazarus from the dead. He could have just stood where he was at, miles away, and said the same word, Lazarus, come out. And all of a sudden, Lazarus comes out. Everyone's like, what's going on? The stone's still there, so someone has to move it, right? Like he could have done that from afar. In fact, we have two examples of this happening in John 4, just a few chapters before this. John 4, 46 through 51, there's a story of the official son who's very ill. And he goes to Jesus, right? And he says to Jesus, come and heal my son. And what does Jesus do? He doesn't follow, he doesn't follow what he asks. He doesn't answer it the way he wants. And he simply says this, go, your son will live. And out of faith, what happens, this man runs back, goes and finds that his son is recovering amazingly. It's a miracle. Ask the servants, when did this happen? And they tell him the hour that it happened. And it was the exact hour that Jesus said, go, your son will live. That's one example. Another example, Luke 7, 1 through 10, tells of an account where Jesus heals a centurion servant. A centurion, he's like an officer in the army, right? commands respect. He has soldiers that are under him, and he has a servant that he loves and cares for. And the servant is ill, and so he sends them elders, Jewish elders, to go to Jesus and tell him that there's a servant who is ill to ask and plead that Jesus would heal him. And so Jesus then goes and follows his elders back towards the centurion's house. But before he gets there and the centurion hears about it, he sends some uh, friends to meet Jesus before he even gets to his house. And the friends say this. The centurion, through the words of the centurion, I am a man who commands respect and I have uh, 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 soldiers that are under me. If I say come, they come. If I say go, they go. He says, Jesus, you don't have to come. You could be where you are and say that my uh, servant will be healed and he will be healed. And Jesus marvels at this faith. And from a distance, he heals the servant. You see, Jesus didn't have to go to Judea to raise Lazarus from the dead. Secondly, there was danger in Judea, right? Upon Jesus, after waiting two days, says he's going to go to Judea. What does the disciples say? You can't go there. You can't go there. It's too dangerous. There was danger. In fact, I think a couple months before this, they were referring to a situation when the Jews were out to stone Jesus. And Jesus left Judea. And now he wants to go back into danger. Why would you go there? Disciples say. So here's the thing. Whatever reason Jesus deemed that he had to go back to Judea, it was important enough that he would put his life in danger. So what was that reason? Why does Jesus go to Judea? I believe the answer is simply this. Jesus goes to Judea to comfort Martha and Mary. He goes to Judea to comfort Martha and Mary. You see, Jesus was doing more than just performing, performing a miracle. He was going to Judea to provide comfort. Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved. This word for deeply moved is like in the bowels, in your gut, you feel it. Like one of the things that I like, 
I hate to see, but I can't stop watching, is like sports injuries. You watch like ESPN or Sports Center, and someone like injures their foot. It's so uh, ah, like I feel it like deep inside, you know. And then when it happens, they like do like thousand replays, slow motion backwards. You're like, I don't need to see all this, but you can't take your eyes away from it. But every time it happens, what happens? Like you get like I get like my like my gut clinches, my leg kind of starts to hurt. I feel that pain with them. Even more so when you see someone you love go through pain, you feel it deep inside. Now this is what it's talking about. When he saw the weeping, his gut, his, he was moved deep inside and his spirit and, uh, were greatly troubled. In verse 34, he says this, and he said this, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. And then these two words, Jesus wept. I believe there are two reasons Jesus weeps here. And I believe both are for our comfort. First, I believe that Jesus weeps over death. Jesus weeps over death. Not specifically Lazarus' death. Okay? Because Jesus knows the outcome. He's not going to be dead for longer. In, in just a few moments, Jesus will raise him to life. So he's not weeping over that. It's kind of like this. I am from Chicago. I love my Chicago sports. But my greatest love of all the Chicago sports teams is my beloved Chicago Cubs. <sighs> oh, I heard a woohoo. Amen, sister. I, I love the Cubs, and I am a diehard fan. And up until last season, I always say every season I die hard. <laughs> it is so hard to be a Cubs fan. If you don't know, they haven't won a World Series for 108 years. In other words, my entire life, in fact, the entire life of any Cubs fan, really, they've never won a World Series. And last season, they got to the World Series, and it was amazing. And then Game 7, I still remember watching Game 7. I kept my son awake, and we were watching it, and then um, their Cubs were winning. And I was so excited. I'm like, they're going to do it. They're finally going to win a World Series. And then what happens? I think it was like the eighth inning, really late in the game. Cleveland Indians, they hit a home run and tie the game up. It's 4-3. to three, They tie it up 4-4. Four, four, and my heart sinks. All those memories of all the times the Cubs failed come rushing back into my mind. Ethan at this point is like, it's like, like midnight. Ethan goes to sleep, right? And like, I'm like, like worried. I'm scared. Now I taped this game. And what happens after that is there's God sends divine rain. <laughs> it rains, right? And then we have a team meeting. Cubs, Cubs come back out, and they're on fire. They score a few runs, and they, and they win the World Series, and I'm celebrating. I, I go into the room, grab my son's lifeless body, and we celebrate together. <laughs> in my arms. I, I'm like, I'm sharing this moment with my son. It's like, yay. And, and we celebrate together. Now, I, I saved this game on my DVR. Okay, I have it. It's locked. No one can erase it unless you know my passcode, right? I locked it, saved it. Now, imagine I'm watching it again on my DVR, playing it, and I get to that part where the Cleveland ties it. Do you think at that moment it would make sense for me to be like, no! And, like, my heart sink. I get worried all over again. No, why? Because I know the outcome. I know it comes out in my favor. I know Cubs win. So when I see it now, I'm like, 
<laughs> they don't even know. They don't know what's coming. And the Cubs are going to win. I celebrate that. See, that's why I don't think Jesus was crying over the death of Lazarus. But rather, I believe at this moment, Jesus sees the effect of death and sin and is moved to tears. I believe in this moment, he is reminded of what he would have to do on the cross as he willingly lays down his life to pay the ransom of man's sin, to overcome death eternally. And in that moment, as he is reminded of that, not tears of, of dread as he thinks about the pain that he would suffer, but tears that his heart is moved because he can't long for that moment that he gets to overcome death. Jesus weeps over death. But secondly, I believe Jesus weeps over our sorrow. Jesus weeps over our sorrow. Jesus sees the suffering of Martha and Mary, and he's deeply moved. You see, our God cares and is moved in our suffering. Brothers and sisters, let me say that one more time. When you are suffering, when you struggle, God's heart is moved. He weeps with us. He's not just some mighty God who is working his plan in our lives without a care of what we go through. But rather, when we suffer, God suffers with us. When I went to uh, Champaign-Urbana for this funeral, I had a lot of time to just think about what was going on in, uh, in their hearts. So moved to pray for this family. And one of the things I started thinking about was that moment when I would first see, uh, I call him Hyung, uh, my Hyung, my brother, my older brother, when I would see him for the first time and like what I would say to him. And I played this moment over and over in my head. How can I comfort him? It was my desire, my longing to get there so that I could help comfort him and this family. And uh, I thought about it a lot. Oh, it's like divine rain again. <clears throat> I thought about this moment a lot. And uh, I, I finally, when I got there, uh, it was a memorial service. And where I was seated... After the service, and I don't know if this is uh, just a cultural thing or not, uh, there was an open casket, and then you greet the family on the way out. I haven't seen the family yet. This is be the first time I would see them, and there was like five, six hundred people there. I mean, it was packed, big, big uh, sanctuary. And the way the ushers were taking people to greet the family, I was one of we were one of the last people. It was me and the two guys that this brother took in and cared for. And so we were sitting there together and watching this whole thing. And as this, was whole, this whole thing was unfolding, I kept thinking, how can I comfort him? How can I comfort him? Nothing came to mind. No words could come to mind in that situation to be able to provide comfort. So I had nothing and kept walking. I viewed uh, Joseph's body. And then it was our turn to greet the family. The first guy. His name's Al. It's a perfect name for him. It's a guy's guy. Nothing moves this guy. He's a rock, right? Every time he's, he's also one year older than the Joe and I. We were the same class. He was a year older. And I knew this guy since high school. Never did I see him, like, get emotional, right? Never saw him cry, nothing. 
He's a rock. And I watch. He locks eyes with saying, and they both start weeping. And I'm like, oh, no. I'm like, if he cries, I'm done for. Because up until now, I kind of held it together. And then finally, it was my turn. I looked at saying, and I'm like still like racing through my mind. How can I comfort this brother? And all I could do is I looked at his eyes. I could see his pain, but as well, just like all that mem- all the memories, just tears started flowing from my eyes. And I couldn't say a word. And I just held him. We held each other and cried for what felt like minutes. And I left that place after that, after I greeted them, and I felt like I failed. Felt like I wasn't the comfort that he needed. Thankfully, after all the, uh, um, all the events, the funeral and the burial, on that last day, they had a lunch for some of the friends and family, and we got to sit there and have lunch, and Saint came over and sat down with us for a while, and he shared this. He said, you know, in the midst of the hardest suffering in my life, by far the hardest thing I've ever had to face in my life, one of the greatest things I'm thankful for. I'm thankful for my pastor and all the counseling and all the people who cared on me, but I'm just so thankful that I got to weep and cry with those who love me. He said, I got so much comfort out of crying with you guys. And I began to realize and understand how much Jesus' heart is moved in our suffering and how through his suffering with us, weeping with us, we receive comfort through his love. In my suffering, uh, Jesus cares most for our soul. In our suffering, Jesus weeps. So finally this, in my suffering, Jesus is my advocate. In my suffering, Jesus is my advocate. See this in verses 38 through 44, and then in verse 41, there's this other part where I had to stop and say, what's going on here? Verse 38, Jesus is deeply moved. He goes to the tomb, right? Uh, there's a stone that laid in, in verse 39. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that you would, uh, if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And then verse 41 says this. Jesus takes a moment to pray out loud. Now, this is not unusual. Prayed out loud a lot. It says this. Uh, I knew, oh, it says, Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And then verse 42, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on the account of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. It's kind of a weird prayer. I mean, imagine I'm, I, you know, I end my message and then I, I pray for you guys and I say, God, thank you for your grace. But I know that you have immense grace. I know that. I'm just saying that for everyone here. You'd be like, probably never invite me back again, right? I'll never get the opportunity to share from God's word again with all of you. It's a weird prayer to pray. So why does Jesus pray this prayer? Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know or I knew that you always hear me. But I said this on the account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. What is Jesus trying to teach us through this prayer? I believe he wants to remind us that he is our advocate. 
that he doesn't just weep with us, that he doesn't just experience and know our sufferings, but that he stands for us when we have no strength to stand. I remember uh, going to court for the first time. One of the scariest things I experienced when I was in high school. I was such a bad person. I got a ticket, a speeding ticket, within the first two months of getting my license. Um, I want to say it wasn't my fault, but it was my foot on the pedal. It was absolutely my fault. It was, I just didn't pay attention to the signs, and the, and the speed limit dropped, and I was 15 miles per hour over on the worst street you can speed on because there's cops everywhere there. I got a ticket. I tried everything to get off the ticket. I think I even tried to cry. Tears wouldn't come, but I tried. I tried to look really sad. Officer, I'm so sorry. But he wouldn't have it. I think he was, like, disgusted by me. He wrote the ticket faster and threw it in my face. So I was going to court in a few days, and I'm really worried about it. Well, I, I got the speeding ticket, and then some of my older uh, friends at high school, he said, oh, you got to go to court. Go to court? I was just going to pay the fine. They're like, no, you got to go to court. I said, okay, why? He said, well, if you go to court, because it's your first offense, the judge will give you probation. I'm like, probation? kind of sounds scary. He's like, oh, that's nothing. They take the ticket. You still have to pay, but they take the ticket. It's like it never existed. It's gone. I'm like, that's awesome. So, so this is what I do. I go to court. I go, hey, your honor, I want probation. And then the judge looks at me, and he says, you get probation. That's how it works? And they said, no, don't do that. That's the last thing you should do. When you get to court, pay for a lawyer. Pay for a lawyer? I'm like, why would I pay for a lawyer? I can say, I want probation, right? I can say that. But they're like, no, don't do that. Pay for a lawyer. Believe me, best $100 you ever spend. 100 has a lot of money. All right, fine. I took their word for it, thankfully. Go to court, find a lawyer, pay him grabs my file, we get into the courtroom, and there is a bunch of people, probably like 50 people in there, and because I come in with a lawyer, I'm like the first person they see, right? even though I got there last, I get jumped to the top of the list. We get to the judge, I'm shaking, I'm like, oh, I'm like scared, and the judge reads off the case and asks me, you know, like, what's going on, and I'm about to speak, but before I could say a word, thankfully, my lawyer jumps in. He goes, hey, your honor, and then they, and I, this is why I knew I was, I spent my $100 well. When they started to talk to each other on first name basis, <laughs> it's like, hey, John, how are the kids? You know, they're like talking to each other, and they knew each other. I'm like, okay, I'm going to be fine. And the, 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 uh, the lawyer, my lawyer looks at the judge and says, your honor, as you can clearly see, this is his first offense. We're going to ask for probation. Immediately, the judge goes, probation granted. That was it. It was done. I paid this guy to say what I could have said. But you see, what happened here is this. This lawyer stood in as my advocate. If I had gone up there and been like, hey, I want probation, the judge probably would have looked at me and slapped another fine on me and sent me out of my way, and that record would be on my, or that ticket would be on my record forever. But instead, by getting this lawyer, he was my advocate. He spoke for me when I couldn't. He had a relationship with the judge that I did not have. I got put to the front of the list, and the judge saw me immediately. 
you know, I think this is kind of what it's like to have Jesus as our advocate. He stands in our place when we have no strength to stand. He speaks on our behalf with his heavenly father. And there is no deeper relationship, no closer relationship than God the Father and God the Son. And Jesus stands for us. Jesus prays on behalf of us. Of us. Romans 8 34, it says this Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Jesus is our advocate, He works for our good. Brothers and sisters, when we suffer, we must know that God wants to strengthen our faith. That he wants to use that suffering, that struggle. And even though he weeps with you, even though his heart is moved, he wants us to go through that suffering so that we experience the goodness, the grace, the love, the mercy of God. But he doesn't just sit idly by. He doesn't just sit there and watch us in our suffering. and do, He doesn't just sit there and do nothing. Jesus is our advocate in our suffering. He works for our good. Where is God in our suffering? He is always with us. He works to strengthen us. And he always seeks to comfort us. Let's pray. Just take a, a couple minutes here uh, today to give you an opportunity just to pray uh, through God's word and through how God has spoken to you here this morning. Uh, I don't know your suffering. I, I don't know your struggles. And some of you here in this room may be going through some very real struggles even at this very moment. even if you are not going through struggles. As a brother who loves you, I wish, I wish I could say, if you love the Lord, you won't face suffering. I wish I could say to you, if you love the Lord, you won't struggle. But that is plainly not true. In fact, Scripture says that we will suffer all the more because of our faith. But I can promise you this. In your suffering, although I may not know, although your pastors may not know, God knows. God weeps. And God stands for you. In our prayers here this morning, can I just encourage you to pray just one simple prayer? And that is this. God, help me to always know that you are there for me. 
God help me to not in my sufferings or in my word my, when times are good or times are bad regardless of what the situation is help me never to question where you are help me to know in faith strengthen my faith so that I know that you are always there for me can we pray that prayer for just a minute here together and then we'll continue our worship together let's pray Father, we thank you. We thank you for your love for us. We thank you that when we did not deserve that love, you poured it down upon us. And all the more so, you poured it upon us in the form of your Son, Jesus Christ, to come flesh, fully God, fully man, to be the propitiation of our sins, to lay down his life for us, overcoming death for eternity. Thank you for that love. We thank you for that grace. But God, we admit and we understand and know, Lord Father, so many times when things get difficult, when things don't go our way, when things take a turn for the worse, it's so easy for us to be focused on that circumstance and fail to see that amazing love and that immense grace. Father, we pray that you would strengthen our faith so that whether things are going well or things are just horrible, we will cling to you, trust in you. And in those moments of suffering, that we will be able to say, Daddy, you do it. God, we thank you. We pray that you would just continue to be worshipped. Bless us. We love you. We pray these things in Jesus' name.